Welcome to the VO School podcast, dedicated to the art, craft, and business of voiceover. Each week builds upon the last to give you a comprehensive understanding of a career in VO. My name's Jamie Moffat. I'm a full-time voice talent and audio engineer, and I'll be joined by some of the industry's top professionals on both sides of the microphone to drill down and dig up the truth. Hello, hello. Welcome to the VO School podcast and Happy New Year. I hope you had a good festive season. My New Year's resolution is to keep these intros super short. So with that in mind, rather than give you all the social media links, I'm going to give you one. And that is our new website, which is voschoolpodcast.com. And that will have all the social media links and ways that you can listen to this podcast in the future. And right now... (laughs) So today is the final episode in our highlight season. This is part three of three, and we have four episodes that uh, I'm culling from today, and we're covering everything from voiceover conferences, dealing with anxiety and motivation, marketing and branding, and business and legal. So we'll have a quick break, and then we'll get on with the interviews. Thanks. Style. Power. The home of the NFL. The all-new iPhone. Reserve your Disney World season pass now. Through all the runny noses, three in the morning coughs. An all-new American crime story, tonight on FX. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins, and these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. In episode 9, I talked with Dave Corvassier and Gerald Griffith about voiceover conferences. And my first question was, what actually goes on at a voiceover conference? Well, in the case of VO Atlanta, which um, I I think obviously, you know, Volvo has a conference, I have a conference, they would just come at it from slightly different angles, but they're at its core, they're both designed to create an environment where members of the community can come together and, and engage with one another. Um, right. And then beyond that, when it comes to VO Atlanta, one of the things I try to focus on is making sure we have those resources there that can share with them, hey, here's what we're looking for. Here's the good stuff we see happening. Here's the bad stuff we see happening. And here's what you need to be doing in order to grow your career. Right, right. So it's a real mixture of a number of things, really, not just the networking, but the learning side and the advocating for the industry side as well. Uh, is that the same at Wovocon, Dave? You know, I think uh, foundationally, all voiceover conferences help to bring people together in real time, in real space, where you can shake someone's hand, look them in the eye. Because let's face it, we all tend to operate individually in our own uh, sphere, in our own uh, studio. Mm. It's it's we operate virtually online, and wow. What a chance to get to shake Bob Sauer's hand and yeah. or, or you know, anybody else that you look up to. You can actually meet them in person. And and Gerald is correct. VoiceOver Atlanta is a great learning experience, but you learn by being in close proximity with those people that you respect. And you can ask them questions right to their face and and uh, and get some answers that that um, will impress you because you're in their environment. You're right there with them. 
So next, I wanted to know, who are voiceover conferences actually for? Well, I'll, I'll address it this way. Um, as far as my role, because sometimes people will ask, you know, well, I'm not an in-the-booth talent. So my role is to create the environment. And in doing so, what I try to do is think about who you want to invite in. So I try to look at it from the opposite side of the fence, so to speak. Right. Because again, I go back to saying that a lot of times people don't know what they need to know in order to train and prepare themselves properly. Right. Yeah. So yes, there are resources there for people who are just getting started. I generally sometimes will shy away from saying it should be the first thing someone goes to, mm. even when they're here in Atlanta and they say, well, I've not taken anything. I sometimes will say, well, try to find an intro class somewhere, um, even if it's online, that may be able to at least get your feet wet, learn a little of terminology or something so you're not overwhelmed. Because when you come to conference, for instance, in 2018, we're uh, looking at somewhere between 600 and 700 people being there. So it can wow. be a lot for you to go from no experience in the industry to suddenly, yeah. you know, 600 plus people uh, with their different experiences in there. but. Also, on the other side of that, we have people who've been in the industry a very long time. And what I find most amazing is in many cases, they've worked together for five or 10 years sometimes, and they've never sat down yeah. in front of each other. They've never shaken hands. They've never hugged. They've never shared a beer or lunch or anything. It's all been online. It's all been over the phone. And so that's one of the things I really get excited about is when I see people who they're just so fired up about the chance to actually have human engagement in real time. <laughs> that's, and, it. That's, yeah, it. That's, that's it. That's <laughs> it. That, that's, that's the magic of any conference, I think. And Gerald, Gerald's especially creates this energy and, I, and I'm not quite sure how he does it, but it's great. It, the, the whole conference has this, this energy. And when you leave it, you're like two feet off the ground. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a wonderful experience uh, that's sharing in the personal space of others. So what I really wanted to know was, what do you actually get out of a voiceover conference? So I asked, what do you actually leave with that you didn't have when you arrived? A lot more friends, <laughs> a lot more people you can, you know, either that you have in your uh, Rolodex now who that you can call on a moment's notice and they'll take your call. They'll take your email because they know you personally. They've seen you in person. And and again, that, that's what I mentioned at the outset of this interview is, is that uh, it's that personal touch and, and the chance to uh, share this, breathe the same air. Um, so I, I think for starters, newcomers are, are looking for a, a chance to, uh, to to do that networking and have that um, have that one on one. Yeah, I, I think yeah. It, yeah, you can't you can't overstate the relationship part of it. Uh, but one of the things I think is very valuable to to people who are getting started is the people who have invested to come to the conference tend to be people who are really looking for serious paths forward. They're not looking mm -hmm. just to watch a quick YouTube video and think they've got it all figured out. Right. So when they come there, they're able to listen to people who've been to this thing 20 years, 30 years, people who have Emmys and people who are just getting booking their first jobs. And you get a real world perspective of what lies ahead of you you know, the, the work that goes into it. You get to hear the stories of how people ended up on the top, not just that they made it to the top, but how they get there and mm -hmm. what they do to stay there. 
And so I hope that's one of the things they take away is that it's not an overnight success. There's no lottery ticket here. You've got to put in the work. You've got to be steadfast. You've got to hang in there. You've got to realize that the the season is, uh, well, the the field is uh, seasonal in some ways. So you could be the best prepared in a particular area, but maybe it's just not the season that that thing is very popular at that moment. Mm. But the next year, you could have your calendar booked solid. You know? right. <laughs> I, th- I think the other thing that newcomers get is just flat out inspiration. You know, they, they get a chance to rub shoulders with the other professionals in this business, and they're inspired by their stories. Uh, they may come with a specific question, you know, how can I be a better marketer? They seek out the person that they uh, think has the answer, uh, and, and they become inspired by the other person's story. Mm. Um, so you, you really need to incorporate that into your formula for good conferences. How can I be inspired and how can I cover everybody's need for inspiration? Gerald just does that wonderfully. So you do hear stories of talent signing with agents that they met at voiceover conferences, but I wanted to know whether this actually was a thing and if it does actually happen. It does. Um, it's, it's one of those areas where I, you know, I have a lot of mixed views on because on, on the one hand, you know, from a marketing standpoint, you, you want to tout things, you want to talk up things. But at the same time, I don't sell pixie dust. Mm. You know, I, I don't I, I don't I don't believe the conference should be a place to hype stuff. Right. I don't want people coming with some false expectation that, you know, you pay this amount of money and you're going to get signed with this person and you're going to do this and do that. No, come to learn, come to meet other people in the industry. Yeah. If the other stuff happens, for instance, we do a talent screening and I invite in agents, directors, people who are involved in the industry, but we randomize it. So you don't even get to pick who you're going to read for. Right. You just, you just put your name in the bucket and you'll get assigned to someone. Because to me, I don't want you trying to be so strategic in, oh, I want to read for that person. Right. I just want you to be open to the idea that you're going to get feedback on your performance, your live performance from someone who's qualified to give it. And if it so happens that they felt so strongly about your performance that they want to bring you in or they want to refer you to someone else, then I think that's great. I just don't want you coming with that as your calculus. Right, right. Yeah, Dave, similar thing. And the question was? VO Atlanta has agents attending, and uh, there's some expectation that you'll go to a conference and sign with an agent, and that'll be the thing that kickstarts your career or something like that. How does it How does it work in reality? I think if you go to a conference and you know that there will be agents there, it's up to you to get signed by that agent. It's mm. up to you to meet that person, to inject yourself into their space and, uh, you know, very... Uh, comfortably uh, introduce yourself and and open a conversation. There's no guarantee. I think Gerald's right. Uh, you know, he can't start with that as the goal. He can invite the right people. It's up to you to to network uh, on on the level that you need to. Um, so you know, if you come looking for agents, great. There, there's going to be some agents there. Now, what are you going to do with it? How will right. you approach that? How will you capitalize on that? So, what preparation should you do in advance before you leave for the conference? Have a comfortable pair of shoes. <laughs> yes. Get plenty of sleep. <laughs> uh, get a, definitely get a lot of rest. Uh, uh, I would say as far as preparation is concerned, um, they need to understand 
where where they are in in the process and, and kind of have an honest assessment of where they are. If you're just beginning, it's okay. Everybody there began somewhere, right? Somewhere, and it's probably the one rule I have. No matter where they are in in, in the association with the conferences, I don't have any tolerance for anybody looking down on anybody. Mm. You know, I, I tell my presenters the same thing. That's the only way you'll you'll like really tick me off is if I ever hear that you talk down to somebody because they're new. Yeah. Don't do it. You know, um, so everybody started somewhere, but just be okay with being a beginner. Be honest about that because people are very helpful in this community, but they're less helpful if you try to pretend to be something you're not. This final question was submitted by Abby Getty, and she asked, how do you optimize your experience at a conference? Ask a lot of questions. Introduce yourself to plenty of people. Be honest about your approach. Uh, tell them, I'm a newcomer. Um, gee, I've been a nurse for uh, 35 years, but I, I really want to work in voice acting now. I mean, be, be candid about your approach. And I think the honesty is the best policy in, in that regard. Uh, tell people, this is, you know, I really need help in marketing. I, I need to find a good coach. I, can, can you help me make a uh, reference to a, someone who can do my demo. You know, just be honest about what you need, and and the word will get around the conference. Oh yeah, I talked to Debbie. She really wants to work with you because she heard that you're really good at promos. You know, something like that. Uh, I just think the you know come in if you can see who's going to be there that that's on your wish list, and and you know make a again make a list of those people you definitely want to contact while you're there, and don't be distracted. Stick with your list. Right, and Gerald. Um, I would say a lot of the same things Dave said. I would say, you know, be a, be a good person first, you know, let them meet you, um, first. And one of the things I encourage them is, is an approach I call finding threads. And what that means is find something that's not necessarily voiceover connected at all in which to connect with people on. So maybe you're from the same state, maybe you went to the same college, maybe you both attend the same type of church, maybe you both like the color blue, you both have three kids, mm. whatever it is, have a conversation and engagement on something that connects you as people, because it's more likely that they'll remember they had a great conversation with someone who was getting started and, and follow up with that later than it is you just being another person running up to them going, hey, can I get you to listen to my demo? Right. Hey, yeah. can I get you to listen to my demo? Yeah. Because there's, mm -hmm. there's, there's 500, 600 people there who may ask that same question. But if they can remember that, hey, you were just getting started in a voiceover and you were trying to ask some questions about maybe where you should start your training, but you also happen to be from the same city I grew up in, then I'm mm. going to remember that, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, I remember now. So I always just strive to say, you know, if you're new, Take some time and listen, mm. you know, just listen to the conversations. And mm -hmm. then if you can jump in somewhere, jump in somewhere. If, if, if it's just an opportunity for you to learn from listening, then do that. But because there's a lot of stuff there, there's, there's a lot to absorb there. In episode 10, it was my great pleasure to interview Anna Vaccino and Dr. Chloe Carmichael about anxiety and motivation as an actor. And my first question was, when you're starting out, you lack confidence. So I wanted to know, was it possible to generate confidence out of thin air? Well, um, no, I wouldn't say that we generate confidence out of thin air. And the good news is, is we don't want it to be that way. We don't want it to be some, you know, mercurial thing that we conjure up out of thin air. Um, as Anna was saying, actually, 
through practice and through getting jobs, um, that would be how you would build your confidence. Confidence is really something that has to be won. Mm. Um, at the same time, as you said, there is a lot of rejection that you have to weather while you're in the process of building that confidence because you maybe haven't yet booked a job. And uh, that would be a time, I think, to tune into the disappointment, the rejection that you're feeling and trying to figure out if that is actually a healthy signal that there's something about the way you're presenting yourself that you need to change, uh, mm. work on, improve, um, or is that the kind of rejection that you know, just means you weren't right for that project, but you don't really need to change anything. Right, right. And I mean, it's quite natural to be nervous, you know, when you start out. And particularly, like Anna was saying at the start there, if you're going to in-person casting calls and things like that. So if you don't have that confidence, is is there something you can do? Is there a mindset that you can go into that will stop you being a nervous wreck? <laughs> Mm -hmm. Well, that's really interesting, Jamie, because sometimes being a nervous wreck doesn't have to do with confidence. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you're talking about it because I think it's a very subtle distinction. So a person can even actually be very confident, but still find as Anna mentioned, she's like the prototype here, I think, which mm -hmm. is great. I can understand. Um, Anna, thank you for, Anna, thank you for being willing to be vulnerable and share oh, with sure. us. Um, so Anna shared that even though she's, you know, reasonably has healthy confidence at this point in herself, that sometimes she can still get pretty nervous, you know, with audition anxiety. Um, sometimes it's actually the finest actors that experience anxiety and do become a nervous wreck, even though deep down they know they're confident. And that's mm. where it can be a hard one, because if that nervous energy is, again, stimulating you to, to say like, okay, wow, I really don't know my stuff. I, I, I should be nervous right now. And this is a sign I need to go practice more. Um, or is it the kind of nervous anxiety that's coming, say, from some people have kind of a hair trigger physiological response where uh, we get a natural shot of adrenaline when we go into an audition and some people's bodies kind of takes that as like, wow, I'm really jazzed. And then they, yeah. it's hard for them to act natural and do a, a slower scene with that kind of body pace. And then they get nervous because their body is nervous and they think it means they must be nervous. But I know it can sound very complicated, but I actually, being in New York City, I have the privilege to work with a lot of Hollywood and Broadway um, stars. <laughs> so I'm very proud for the chance that I've had to learn some of their nuances. Right. So, so it's possible to take control and redirect that physical reaction? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the beauty, the good news is, is that it absolutely is. Um, you know, there's breathing techniques, there's yoga, uh, there's learning through mindfulness to learn how to not respond to it with more anxiety, because when it spirals, that's when people, you know, really get into a bad situation. I try to explain it this way. If you say, for example, hit your funny bone, do you say funny bone in, in uh, London, Jamie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. so you know you what I You get the tingly mean. thing, yeah. Uh, yeah, if, if you had that and you had never experienced it before, you thought it was some kind of a bad sign, it could actually be pretty frightening and overwhelming and you could start right. reacting to it and getting anxious. The same thing is true for a little bit of a pre-audition jitter. And some people just need to learn how to recognize it and manage it and let it pass like a funny bone. Other people right. um, have a situation 
situation with their internal monologue that we dive into. Um, again, Jamie, I'm so glad you decided to do this because truly I could talk all day. So you'll have to stop <laughs> Please me do. probably. Please do. <laughs> so Anna, I'm, I'm curious. I know I've been kind of going on here. Have you ever tried any of the things that I mentioned? I'm just curious. Oh, yeah, all the time. I mean, I'm, yeah. For sure. And I was just thinking while you were talking, I was like, a, a thing that I've learned to do, and it probably only comes with, you know, getting old like I am, and <laughs> is that to stop wiping expectations on any audition, whether you expect to do well or you expect to do poorly. Uh, expectations tend to set you up for disappointments and surprises. And also expectations tend to hype, hype you up more. Whereas if you can so just chill... And, and not and be like, you know what, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a good time. Or if you're reading from home, which we are 80% of the time with voiceover, don't put, don't put an expectation on it. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so perfect for this. I have to nail it. And then you overwrought your audition or you over edit it, or, you know, you take out the humanity, um, things. It, that's just one example of like a, anything that you can do to, or do you think, I'm never going to get this. Why am I even bothering? And then you put forth a crappy audition, you know, right. if you can just take away expectation, that's a big step to just relaxing a little bit. In my next question, I wanted to know if the opposite was true and if overconfidence was a problem and how you can manage that. We call it actually reality testing in psychology. Oh. Um, you know, so if, you know, for example, somebody, you know, were to, you know, just kind of have truly unrealistic expectations. Um, some For some people, it comes out of a sense of entitlement. Um, and other people, they just, it's the only tool in their to toolbox is to try to puff themselves up that way. Right. And it, it hurts them too, and they know it. Um, so again, I... Um, I love, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy because it gives people pretty easy ways. Um, Jamie, if I can just share as well, I, I think that, you know, you're mentioning I, I have anxietytools.com because yeah. I love my anxietytools.com so much. Um, and I, do, I have found that it really does oftentimes boil down to some pretty simple um, techniques that a person really does not even necessarily have to be in therapy at all much less a long time. Right. Um, sometimes it drives me crazy when I hear about actors that get sucked into these, you know, multi, multi-year therapies, which there's nothing wrong with that if they're helping you to increase your insight about yourself and they can be wonderful. But for some actors who just need to learn a few basic, simple techniques, um, cognitive behavioral therapy or even just self-help can be best. So angst and crisis and a lack of confidence are a common theme among actors. And an equally common concern is losing that and losing your edge. So I asked Dr. Chloe if that is a concern. It's such a belief that many actors have. Um, and it's been around really, you know, I think at least since the 50s and the 60s, uh, at the time when psychoanalysis was more of a fad, mm. uh, that actors were afraid that if they worked out their neurosis, yeah. that they would lose their angst and then they wouldn't be compelling on screen anymore. Um, so, yeah, um, it's, it's a, I find the best way to deal with that um, is to actually, oddly enough, kind of, 
make friends with that jitter, the the jitter that many people are used to, so used to trying to kind of banish right. to actually, because that, that only stuffs it down. And then they end up sometimes having panic attacks later. And yeah. um, so instead, they I try to encourage them, oddly enough, to make friends with that internal energy um, and reminded that, you know, we all have the same goal here. I, I try to sometimes stimulate the mental experience of, you know, guided imagery that you're at an audition mm. during a session and then scan your body for what is coming up for you and learning and exploring and getting comfortable with those signals so that they don't necessarily feel like alarm that is unwarranted where that's becoming counterproductive, right. but to remind them that of course, you know, you're still going to feel that you know, kind of extra little spring in your step and that that can be a good thing. But if you don't, um, you know, feel the, feel that spring in your step, um, then it usually is good to take a look at what's going on in your art more the way that Anna did when her, um, (laughs) agent said, let's have a fresh look at, you know, your energy and what you're bringing to the table, because sometimes actors can get on an automatic mode, just like anybody can, a therapist can, anybody can. And so it's really important sometimes to have somebody kind of just help you refresh everything that you're presenting. So I wanted to know what is the optimum mindset to be in when you actually perform the job? I had a coach, maybe it was a casting director, tell me years ago, when you go in to do the job, especially as a voiceover actor, you are your job is to relax everybody in the room. Mm. Sometimes when sometimes this is going to sound negative to our profession. I don't mean it to, but sometimes it feels like, uh, the voiceover can be a little bit of an afterthought. And if you think about it, they've already spent a tremendous amount of time and resources creating this commercial or creating, animating this show or, you know what I mean? And so we're going to come in and we're going to be, you know, say the tagline, we're going to say seven words at the end of the commercial. (laughs) And we don't need to be, we don't need to be wiping our insecurities in the room when we go in to do that job. We need right. to be going in there and chilling everybody out, knocking it out. Sometimes too, by the way, the seven word tag is the session that will take the longest and it will be so they'll, they'll just have you do it a million times yes. and you'll feel like, did I even, why did you even hire me? If you didn't know, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's just par for the course. That's just what happens in those kinds of sessions. And, um, but I would say your job is to know that like, they hired you for a reason. Mm. They want you to do the job, go in there and do a great job, be relaxed and relax. Everybody don't ever go in there thinking they need to take care of you. Right. Because that's not, (laughs) you need to be an adult, a mature performer and go in there and, and do your job. And the, uh, there are, there are some very nurturing directors and there are some very gruff non-nurturing directors and you kind of got to be, be prepared for anything. And if you're, if you're relaxed and you can take it in stride, even if you're feeling like, Oh my God, they hate me. Or, Oh my God, this guy is so, so rude. You know what I mean? Even if, even if you feel that stuff on the inside, if you can just chill everybody out, it's going to go a lot easier. And people will talk about that. Hey, that guy was great. He just came in here and did his job. You know what I mean? That's what they want. They're working professionals. Why shouldn't you be a working professional and, and match that energy? Have you had any situations where you've been in a studio and maybe, yeah, you've had a difficult director, someone's giving confusing feedback or they're having emotional issues or something, or maybe you're 
making mistakes and you, you know, imposter syndrome kicks off or something like that. Have you had any of those moments that you've had to overcome? Oh yeah, of course. Of course. And what was your, what was your technique for that? Oh gosh. It's really hard to say, what was the technique for that? (laughs) You just take it in stride and just do it and just like calm down and breathe and get through, through it. Yeah. You know, I mean, ultimately what we're doing is it's, not rocket science. We're no. saying words. And, um, sometimes <sighs> there've been so many different kinds of sessions. Sometimes you'll get in there and it'll, it will feel like, oh, they're not happy with what they're having me do it a million times. They're not happy. And then you find out later they loved you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then other times you're like, uh, you know, and you're not, you're not giving them what they want. And sure enough, you'll hear the spot and you've been replaced. That's just part of it. If you, you haven't been around in this business long enough till you've been fired right. and replaced, that stuff is going to happen from time to time. And, um, so yeah, but to, as far as techniques of having a difficult session, I mean, I gotta say we work in a really good business. I rarely have a bad session. Yeah, People yeah. are usually very chill. There are certain clients like, like ABC, for example, when I do promo for them, it's literally a take or two. Mm. And then we move, we move on because they're working on such a tight timeline and we have a rhythm and I've been doing it for four years with them. But then like other clients who shall remain nameless, (laughs) they will do one promo and it takes them 20 minutes to lock it down. And that does drive me crazy because I'm like, you guys, we got this. I did it four takes ago, but you know, that's just part of that's just part of what we do. Yeah. And I don't want to misrepresent the industry because a good 99.9% of sessions yeah. are fantastic. You know, they, most they're... people are just super chill and they're super glad to be there. And oh my gosh, I'm about to lose my voice. I'm going to take a sip of water. But yeah, yeah we're, we're, we, it's a very, we're really lucky. Most people I've encountered, I, it's really rare to yeah. encounter someone who's an a hole or someone who wipes their bad crap on you during, like, it does, just doesn't happen. So what if things do go badly? I asked Anna and Dr. Chloe how to cope in that situation. Well, Jamie, I would say it's more of an ecosystem of mental processes, you know, so Mm. even that kind of, you know, difficult moment is going to happen um, in the context of, you know, whatever internal monologue you're already having. Um, So I guess I would just like to explain a little bit about something called defensive pessimism that I think might be good to know about here. Um, So defensive pessimism is kind of what it sounds like. It's a tendency to sometimes, you know, assume the worst as a way to um, protect ourselves and also sometimes to stimulate ourselves to work hard on preparation and things like that. And so a certain amount of defensive pessimism is actually healthy. Like it would be ridiculous if I said, well, you know, I don't need to buy any, um, I don't know, clothes because the clothes I have will last forever. (laughs) I would be obviously short on defensive pessimism. So a certain amount of it is helpful, but some people go overboard on it. Um, So if you're at a, you know, uh, either an audition or an actual job and you start getting some feedback that feels difficult, um, I think it is good to be attuned to the possibility that, you know, maybe they want you to do something different, but also, um, you know, not necessarily assume that it's anything negative about yourself. Um, I, I 
oftentimes just simple communication can be helpful to narrate your experiences is what we call it in psychology. So right. sometimes it can be helpful to say to the people that are taping you, um, hey, is everything okay? Do you guys want me to do anything different? I'm happy to keep doing it. If there's any direction you want me to take, just feel free to let me know. Um, sometimes that just actually helps to sort it out. Um, I would also encourage the person um, to remember that after a difficult day um, where you do just have to get through it, as Anna was saying, a, a professional is not going to, you know, go to pieces and say like, oh, well, I just feel like it's just, you know, so much stress on me right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as Anna said, you know, you would just get through it. Um, however, to do that, you'd have to be, you know, kind of pushing aside maybe a certain amount of your own private reaction. And so I do encourage um, actors or really anybody that has to do that sometimes for their job to make sure that they unwind and give themselves a chance at the end of the day to talk through or journal through whatever you are actually experiencing and then give yourself, um, you know, some good self-care if need be. And I do have some tips on that too, Jamie. I don't want to yes, jump please. too far ahead, but okay, great. So I, I will share them. I do think it can be a really good idea to have a list of, you know, self-care ideas. I call it a self-care menu. Um, and that way, if you have had a tough day, um, different things are going to be right for different days. Um, for example, if you were at work and you got some difficult feedback and, you know, it was one of your first jobs and you actually realized you actually really, you know, did blow it, you know, like, let's <laughs> like just prepare for the worst. Um, then on your self-care menu, um, you would have some things on there that you could do to go home and continue to be productive because the danger there, especially for an early career actor, is that they'll take that bad day and then just go into a lot of self-doubt and negativity and beating themselves up. And then they just kind of drift away from really even working on trying to get more auditions or more jobs. Mm. Um, so on the self-care menu, uh, things like, you know, revise your website or, um, you know, reach out to agents and contacts if you, you know, really know that you did really kind of blow it and you need to actually make sure you're doing something to put your best foot forward. Um, or if you felt like you were giving a boring audition and you just had that weird feeling, um, I would have your self-care menu include all kinds of things again. So a good thing for feeling like you maybe just lacked your sparkle that day would be to have on your self-care menu to read, say, The Artist's Way, yeah. Um, or a book about your technique or craft, or even, you know, some other type of book altogether, um, you know, going to church, whatever, everyone's different, but I, or go to the gym, but I really encourage people to have an actual written self-care menu with a wide variety of things on it so that whatever type of challenge you've had, you don't have to sink into it. You've already thought of a good, positive kind of intervention <laughs> for that difficult day. And finally, given the recent revelations in Hollywood and across the entertainment industry, I wanted to know a few tactics for dealing with toxic people. That's an interesting one, Jamie, because also the thing for actors that's really very unique is that their voice and their body are um, up for discussion when they are mm. on audition and when they are at work. Um, in a normal uh, working environment, um, people would never say to you, you know, can you put your shoulders back? We want to shoot you from a different angle so we get your waist. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So there's like a whole thing where, you know, with your voice, if they're saying, you know, can you put a little bit breathier, you know, things that you would just never say to somebody in a normal professional <laughs> environment. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think it's especially important to to um, 
give your body that self-care. I know Anna was saying that she, um, you know, kind of tunes into herself and her internal dialogue and says, like, what do, what do I feel right now? Is that really true? Um, sometimes spending time in mindful meditation, which I it frustrates me, I have to say. A lot of people think that they've done meditation or mindful meditation, and then they really, um, they haven't because it's something that is... Um, so um, it's like an overused term, but what good mm. mindfulness meditation really teaches you to do is to be aware of your body and how it feels um, in certain situations. At least that's one of the uh, things that mindfulness meditation can teach you to do. Um, so that way you can start to have actually a two-way dialogue with your body. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. Mm. Um, so if your body is you know, giving you a signal um, you can learn how to listen to it. Um, sometimes the body actually senses and knows things before we do. And then on the other hand, as I was saying earlier, sometimes you can realize that your body has gotten triggered in a way that doesn't even quite make sense for the situation. And then with your mind, you can, you know, kind of redirect it or calm it down. Um, and as you're saying as well, Jamie, like, you know, as far as the actual interpersonal dynamics in the room, um, again, if you have a bad day and you're, you know, having to navigate that feeling of just saying, this isn't somebody I want to work with, or I have to kind of put up a little bit of a bubble and a barrier around myself to, um, make sure this person doesn't get under my skin figuratively, Mm. um, to give your body a chance to unpack that at the end of the day, to not just get through it and then never think about it and never talk about it again. It really is good that if there's anything you can't deal with in a direct way right there in the moment, that you make sure you give yourself a chance to unpack it later. So in episode 11, I talked with Celia Siegel and Doug Melville, who are both marketing and branding experts. And I wanted to know as my first question, what was the difference between the terms marketing and branding? You know, that's a great question. And people so frequently toss those in together. And branding is you and all about you. So that's the thing that you're going to be marketing. And then marketing is the activity of spreading your brand, spreading the word about you right, um, right. in kind of its simplest breakdown. Yeah. And that's how you see it too, Doug? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it's kind of the uh, marketing, advertising, communications. Uh, I call it the MAC. It's kind of the aggregate of all of them. They, they've kind of all crossed in each other's swim lane in some sense. Digital kind of broke up the swim lane. So, mm. um, but in a sense, it's about ensuring that you have uh, values, you know, your why, you know, your underlying magic, and also you know how to reach your market and know your audience. So all that collectively is kind of in the marketing and branding um, ecosystem. Right. Totally. So, so what comes first then? Presumably the branding has to come first. You know, you take that and then go and market it. Is that is that how it works? Yeah, definitely that's a good place to start. And like Doug said, it does all mix together, you know, in your business plan. Um, but I always tell people that as far as your brand goes, I mean, it's really just expressing what's already there. Mm. So it's not about making something up or like creating some avatar of what you would like to be, but it's really about authentically telling your story as it stands. Um, So that's a really great cornerstone to your whole voiceover career is what do you stand for? What portion of this business are you going to embody? 
what's yours? Yeah, what's your work? Right. Um, and I think that th- through thinking about your brand and creating a brand that feels really authentic, it's a, it's just a great place to run your career from. So as a voice actor, your personality and your product are quite intertwined. So we spoke a little about that in this next section. It's sort of the intersection of who you are and being real about that. And I think it's right. It's, it's the entirety of you. It's, it's your, your shadow side. It's what you're good at. It's what you're bad at. You know, sometimes the right. thing that people want to buy from you is because of your weaknesses, if that makes any sense. You know, right. so the, the really cool thing about voiceover and personal branding is that you are your product. So it's doubly important and just like an interesting space to play in. It's very hard to separate the artist from the art. Mm. You know, I think, uh, you know, ever since the beginning of time, you know, art is a reflection of the artist and you're the sum of your experiences. So it's very hard, in particular in voiceover, it's hard for anybody not to take things personal because your voice is so personal. Your voice is really what you have. So it is very hard and very sensitive to communicate with artists about things that aren't related to their voice, but their brand or other elements of themselves, because they have to take it very personally because it's the most personal thing that they have. And you mean voice figuratively or literally <laughs> when it comes to voice? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, both. It really is <laughs> yeah. both. I mean, yeah. you know, before everybody was recording podcasts and doing voiceovers, uh, voices were something that were just kind of a, dissipated into the wind but the Mm. people that were there heard it and you had to remember it but now that your voice can be recorded and played for the eternity you know every voice art word sound song movie video ever recorded in humankind is essentially online right so you know you you can have in your pocket access to unlimited voices so i think that the power of the voice is actually hitting its stride it's it's galloping yeah. um especially because podcasts uh, have allowed people to do two things at once so you could listen and you can also do another activity so yes, i definitely. think that people are now realizing that multitasking and the voice arts and being a voiceover artist is something that's a lot more attractive to new people and and newcomers to the industry than it was in years past, at least least what I'm saying. So who should be on your marketing team? I asked Celia and Doug who's on their team and what they would recommend. Well, I mean, in our perspective, so, you know, I'm at an advertising agency Mm. uh, and I'm a chief diversity officer. And one of my roles here is to work with our producers and our creative teams to widen the pool of who we use. So can we get some different voices in the room that we haven't used before or maybe people that were on a, a figurative wait list? So I like to take the time to see how we can attract a larger range of voices. Now, with that, people have to stand out and they have to present themselves in the best light possible. And that's really where the team comes in. So Mm. I think in some sense you can make a great website uh, and you can do that either from a template or maybe your manager agent or family friend, um, you know, Wix or Squarespace, WordPress. Um, You you can kind of make a website, but I think what's most important is the team of networking. 
you know, right. attending events and networking is actually the most important thing right. because we're in a decentralized business. So that means each producer on each client in each office essentially is running their own production for the creation of media art, which is kind of how we communicate our commercial messages. They may be digital or radio and so forth. So you have to know and get out there. And I think attending events is the most important thing uh, that people can do because that handshake and getting out there. So the team starts even well before you've put together your day-to-day operational people And it starts with you going out there and attending events, Um, also keeping a fresh blog, something very important. So even though that's a writing structure, it's important to see what you're doing and and make notes so people can know what you're doing uh, in this space. Because we look at freshness. How often are you used? Are you are you relevant? Are you in the market? Um, And then once you start doing that, then you have to work on your management team. You have to work on who represents you. So it's a little bit of a chicken and egg when you get started, like all industries, when you're the first generation in your family to do something. Mm. But I think really it's, it starts with putting one foot in front of the other and attending events, keeping a blog, making case studies of all the work that you have, and then working to get a manager and an agent, uh, and then getting out there and figuring out kind of where your career is going to sail. Right, cool. And Celia, you you have a team of people that work with you to uh, help your clients. So what does your team look like? Um, So I have on my team, Marnie Lee is my copywriter. So all of the brands that you can see on my website, we conceptualize that, you know, along with the talent, we have a brand finder. And then Marnie and I um, co-create all of the writing And that would include the writing on your website, um, anything you're putting out there. Mm. Um, I have a a couple of virtual assistants just so I can kind of keep my plate clean and be creating brands and connecting with my clients. Martha Kahn does sales for me. So helping spread the word and uh, sell my talent around to different uh, buyers and then I have a couple of online people who create um, e-cards and researchers who research my mailing list. So we really try to create a team for my clients where we're doing all of this marketing and branding for them, helping them with their agent relations, making sure everything's running really smoothly because, um, you know, the talent need to wear so many hats. Yeah. Um, that we like to take that off of their plate. So they're like, oh, I have a team. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, you get behind the microphone and audition beautifully, you know, coach with great coaches, hone your skills. Um, I would consider that a part of the team also is yep. those coaches that we refer people to because that is really the primary thing that a talent has to do is be awesome. So yeah, I just like to keep people in their zone of, of playfulness, um, recording jobs, reading auditions. So Doug Melville is Chief Diversity Officer at a huge international advertising agency, and it would have been remiss of me not to ask him his process for selecting talents. It's a little peek behind the curtain for us. So he explains his process here. 
You know, it really depends. But but if we have a voice that we want or if there's a stanza of a poem and we want to get the original author's voice, or is right. that author alive or past? Is someone currently in the marketplace that epitomizes that voice? Mm. Do we want an actor or a talent or uh, a VO that that's kind of a household name? Or do we want a rising star? Right. Do we want uh, several voices so it's regional? Do we want um, someone in one element of the campaign but not another element? So right. it, 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 it so varies, and I think that's the hard part of buying art. Mm. Every single person that walks into that gallery is looking at something different. You know, a, fr a friend of mine uh, opened a restaurant and uh, told me that the hardest part about the restaurant is that everybody sits down and has a different item that they're looking at to judge the restaurant. Right. Is the yeah. napkin folded? Yeah. Is the fork clean? Is there something on the glass? Was the restroom okay? Was the waiter polite? You know, and he and he would tell me that it's very hard to know. So that's why people in the restaurant industry are constantly making sure everything's perfect because it's hard for you to understand the trigger of the guest. And I think when you look at talent buyers or people that are looking and seeking for voices or any art, but in particular, this voiceover conversation, we also must be aware of all those elements. And I think that if you're in a voiceover career and you're kind of in that beginning stage, so your plane's about to take off, you're not above the clouds coasting, working with people like Celia is so important because you have a life coach, you have a weight trainer, you know, you have all these different people that help you in life. The same thing goes for this part of the career. And then once you're above the clouds, you know, that's a whole nother level of maintenance that you need to do um, where there's different challenges and, and different opportunities. So I just think that when you look at this segment overall, now that the barrier of entry has been lowered, the competition is strong and you have mm -hmm. to at least stand up enough above the crowd so people can see you and more importantly, hear what you have to offer. And finally, for this branding episode, I wanted to know how often you should change your marketing and branding. This comes up, and I, I've been doing this long enough that I've got clients. I have one client that I've worked with for the last 29 years. I was her agent in Minneapolis. I was her agent at CESD. And then I've been her manager forever. And we morph for her brand every five years. So when you think about brands in the marketplace, you know, the more well-known you become and the bigger your career grows, you need to tweak your brand to reflect that. Right. You know, look at having to change it up at least every five years, just a little switch. Sometimes it's more like every three years. Yeah. And you have to keep it fresh, you know, because we're also people, not products. You know, and at the reality of the situation is it's hard to, you know, look at someone and say, hey, you know, you just need to refresh. You need to rebrand, you know. So, it, again, it goes back to the very personal elements of it. So it's just important that you stay fresh and stay relevant and stay, you know, hip to the details. I mean, just look mm -hmm. at the creative industries, what font you use. What yeah. color is your website? Is an infinite scroll versus left to right? Is it mobile? You know, there's a lot of small things that just come up over and over again. Mm. Um, one tip I say to people is that they should absolutely go to a private browser. 
on their phone or their desktop, one that doesn't have any cookies or history and Google themselves and see what comes up. Do you need to add a middle initial? Do you need to put a junior? Do you have, you know, there's a website called howmanyofme.com and you Mm -hmm. can go in there and type in your first and last name and it pulls up all the people in the United States with your name. You know, you should at least know how many of you there are. Yeah. You know, there's 13 Doug Melvilles, <laughs> but it's good. It's good for me to know that. But again, it's all of these little details matter to keep your brand fresh and relevant, um, you know, and, and keep your voice something that's still has a place in the market. Our final interview for this episode and indeed the highlights packages is my interview with Tom Deere and Robert Sigel and Paglia. And we took a deep dive into the business and legal world. And my first question was, what should be your first legal and business considerations? If you decide that you want to be a voice talent from a business legal, from a business perspective, Rob will handle the legal, is um, your systems of thought, which is what I teach my students, is that you need to have effective systems of thought to then create effective systems of execution. Most voice talents don't know what they don't know. They Mm. don't know how to think about what they're supposed to think about. And also most of them think like employee slash starving artist. I always say that if you want to be an effective and successful voice talent inside the booth, you need to be an effective, successful voiceover business outside of the booth. Mm. So it's the the most important thing to being an effective voiceover business is to understand what the industry is and how to think about it and to figure out what your relationship is with the industry right and where do you where do you get that information i mean obviously they can come to people like you but if like you say they don't know what they don't know well, uh, training. I mean, the, I mean, there's people like me with the voiceover strategist and studios like Edge Studio that I, I coach with that can teach mm. you all of that. But um, our, our mutual friend, Peter Bishop, right. uh, British fellow British voice talent, always uh, gives me a hard time. Peter who? Uh, because of the <laughs> subject matter I teach. I know it's shocking because he always says, uh, Tom, why do you have a business? What you teach is common sense. Everyone should know these things. That sounds like Peter. And thank you. I've been working on that for a while. Um, yeah. So a lot of the stuff that I teach is actually, you know, common sense. Um, yeah. You know, do you have your financial house in order? Um, do you know what success looks like? What does success mean to you as a voice talent? Does that mean being a voice on Family Guy? Does that mean being doing local spots for Uncle Bob's used car lot? Mm. Um, does it mean something in between? Does it mean being an audio award? winning audiobook narrator once you figure out what success looks like for you because unfortunately we've been you know peppered for all our lives with the stuff of bad musicals and after school specials about what success is they all say success right. means being being a star and if you're not a star you're a loser <laughs> and that's you know that's nonsense yeah you can be a very successful voice talent even though nobody knows who you are yeah i mean there's probably you can count on one hand the amount of uh, household names in voiceover, <laughs> if that. And there really aren't. There's just celebrities yeah. who happen to do voiceovers. Yeah. You know, Morgan Freeman is a, he's a, he's not a voice actor. He's a movie star that right. does voiceovers. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Robert, um, we, I started off this talking about, uh, 
the first thing you should do sort of day one um, from a business perspective, but maybe you could bring in your perspective from a legal standpoint? Sure. Well, I mean, business and legal are hand in hand anyway. Yeah. Um, so they're pretty much the same thing, just from different angles. Hmm. Um, I mean, first of all, just to, to um, uh, expand on what Tom said a little bit, if you're going into voiceover to become famous, don't do it. Yeah. Do something else. <laughs> do on camera. Do it, it's not going to make you famous. So yeah. that's that's an unrealistic, unrealistic goal. So I mean, Tom hit it on the head. You want to set your goals first. I always tell anybody coming in to set up a business to figure out to work backwards, figure out what you're trying to accomplish with the business, and yeah. then we can figure out the best legal avenue mm. uh, to set it up um, and then for the voiceover industry you need to really learn what the industry is about so anyone coming in to to, to me as an attorney say they need to know what the what their business is mm. because for the voiceover business since I'm a voiceover artist I mean I can help with that but somebody coming in you know that's a construct uh, doing construction or something like that I can't really help them with knowledge of their business they need to know that already yeah so when they walk in the door then i can help them figure out if they need to you know if they're going to do uh, what kind of uh, llc or corporation they're going to set up or if they're going to stay a sole proprietor mm. um, it's the same thing with voiceover you need to know what the industry is about and then figure out what you want to do with it and if you're really seriously doing this as a business versus a hobby you should treat it like a business because, you know, I always say like, say someone walks in my office as an attorney and they want to set up a, a pizza parlor. In the voiceover industry, you would hear people say, you know, oh, you should just stay a sole proprietor, be a sole proprietor, you know, until mm. until you start doing some work, and then then worry about setting up your LLC or your S corp. Yeah. Imagine if the guy came into my office who wants to set up the pizza parlor, and I told him, oh, let's see how many slices you sell first before <laughs> we decide to, to yeah. set up your LLC or your S corp. It's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, voiceover, you're selling your you're selling your your services, so it's a business. So unless you're going to do it as a hobby. And we're talking here about liability and why you would set up be a sole proprietor versus an LLC or an escort. Everything, right? Yeah. Not not just liability. I mean, liability obviously is the is the big reason because you want to make sure your business and your personal selves are separated, mm. so that you you know you there you do avoid some legal liability. But everything, taxes, paying less tax, right? Um, accounting. You know, when you set up an LLC or a corporation, it's much easier to. To do the accounting because you're not commingling personal assets and and uh, business asset assets so it's it, it's the it's the whole business um, someone comes walking in to set up a business these are the things that you you talk to them about um, these are this is what every business person any legitimate successful business person this is what they talk about it doesn't matter what the business is it's all the same. Right. Voiceover should be no different at all, except it's a different industry. I mean, like I said, I because I'm a voiceover artist, I can help voiceover artists learn about the industry as well. Mm. But the business side of it is is pretty much the same, no matter what business you're starting. My next question was to do with your business and legal team. So we dive into the details about who does what and why you should hire people. I mean, your lawyer is going to, they're going to help you set up your business. They will 
be able to review any contracts that come across your desk. And there's there's contracts that come across your desk every day. They'll be able to draft your contracts mm. for you, for your jobs. If you get an, an agent, they'll be able to review those contracts to make sure that they're okay. Mm. When you get the, the big... The big gig from uh, you know one of the big companies, Disney or whatever, your lawyer will be able to review those contracts for you to make sure that, as Disney does, have one you know one sided contract. Right. You want to make sure that it's fair. It's fair for the talent as well. Yeah. Um, and and there's because the the business is so non union these days, there are corporations that are hiring talent directly, and they're using these ridiculous contracts. Ridiculous. Tom, I'm sure you have, have seen some of these things where they ask for like a million dollars of liability insurance and all oh, this crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah. So like, you know, you need a lawyer that goes through these things that, you know, can, can make these contracts fair because they're not because they're not written for voiceover. They're written for, you know, some contractor that's going to be doing internet stuff or <laughs> building right. a, building the building or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so uh, about and about that is that one issue in the voiceover industry is that we we are truly a square peg in the round hole that is American commerce. Right. 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 Nobody understands who we are. They don't understand how we work. They don't understand how we get paid. And there are very few mechanisms available to uh, be able to accommodate self-employed, you know, entrepreneurs like us. We have no voice in Washington, for example. There's no lobby that advocates for sole proprietors like us. All the laws are skewed towards big businesses. There are small businesses out there, but... um. You know, with healthcare reform that's going, that's they've been trying to do right now, and tax reform that they're trying to do right now, we as voice talents just get hosed over and over and over right. again yeah. because there is no system to protect people like us because most people, well, one, they don't know we exist, and two, they don't care about us because we don't have lobbying power in Washington. So what things then uh, do you think we need to be protected from specifically? Oh, Robert, I'll let you cover that one. <laughs> All right. Well, before I get to that, I mean, just finish. Like, I was in the middle of like what an attorney right. does. Oh, my apologies. And what an accountant does. Sure. No, it's okay. So the attorney can also help with collecting too, because I've been doing a lot of collection things, and there's I've seen a trend these days where because, like Tom says, no one understands what we do. Um, a voiceover artist will do a voiceover that's supposed to be like for the internet for, you know, 60 days. Yeah. And then all of a sudden a year later, the stuff's on TV. Yep. <laughs> so, and you don't have the union to protect you. So that they'll, they'll come to the lawyer. I've helped talent collect their, their true money than what they're supposed to be getting paid in those circumstances. But that's another thing that a lawyer can help mm. with. As far as the CPA, the accountant goes, they do, every, they, they will run your, all oh, take care of the, the bookkeeping and the the tax uh, liabilities for your for your business. So um, they'll take. I mean, if you pay anybody or pay yourself payroll, they'll take care of taxes for you. They'll file those returns. They'll um, help you um, save the most money that you can on on taxes. They can help you like with depreciating your equipment the best way, mm -hmm. so that um, you know, like some people like to. When they buy a piece of gear, they want to write it off right away, but that might not be the smart move because they may be, their income may have been down that year or something, and then the following year they may get a big job, so they might want to depreciate it somehow. Right, yeah. 
so that they, they get a bigger write-off the following year. So your accountant is invaluable for helping you with those, those types of things. Yeah, it's an ongoing conversation with your accountant, really, isn't it? Right. Or, you know, if you get a job with residuals, you know, how are you going to, can you structure some of it where you can, you can, you know, uh, put it into some kind of tax, uh, I don't want to say a shelter, but, you know, something, right. some avenue where you, you don't pay as much tax as, as you would if you just collected the money outright and put it into your bank account. You know, you could put it into some deferred payment plan or something like that. But, right. you know, that's where, that's where your accountant can really help save you a lot of money on, on taxes and, and help your business run uh, smoothly and make sure your cash flow is there, you know, all of those things. So that's, that's what those, that's why it's very important to have the attorney and the accountant mm. that you can go to on a regular basis. And how do you find good attorneys and accountants? I know one. Well, other than <laughs> Robert, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, you you want to make sure that they understand the entertainment business. So I, I, Tom said he had a CPA. So if they understand, if his CPA understands um, what a voiceover artist or an actor, what kind of deductions they normally have, then that's who you want to hire. Right. Um, same thing with an attorney. You want an entertainment attorney that understands entertainment law um, because you just don't want to go to someone that does like real estate or something like that. Yeah, uh, because they're not necessarily going to be able to help you with those contracts that we talked about earlier. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I would ask them if they understand like what is a loan out corporation because that that's kind of an entertainment term. Right. You know, those those kind of loan out corporations are set up by actors and and voiceover artists. Um, so that that'd be a good lead in question to ask ask an attorney if they understand what that is. They're, then they probably can represent you. Um, Oh, that's good. As a voiceover artist yeah. and understand the, you know, understand the business. So when you're self-employed, things like pension and health are an extra complication. So we dove in here to the world of pension and health insurance. If you're non-union, this is where your CPA comes in because this is where they can set up, um, you know, when I was talking about the tax shelters earlier, that's what I was talking about. They could set up deferred programs where um, uh, you can... Um, buy your health insurance through your company um, and you get to write all that off 100%. Yeah. You set up a retirement account and which retirement account you set up like that, that's where you can play. Um, you know, there's all different kinds. Um, you know, there's, you know, 401ks, there's SEPs, there's uh, 10 or 12 probably out there, different ones. Um, and it's going to depend on how much you want to put into it and how much you earn. So that's where it, it's key to get your CPA involved and sit down and figure out which is the best retirement plan mm. for you to set up as a self, um, self-employed individual and, uh, health insurance. I mean, health insurance is, it's, it's in a state of flux right now. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, with Obamacare, if is it in, is it out? Who knows? I mean, but whatever plan, if you can get onto a group group, some kind of group plan, yeah. um, you can, you can at least write off the, the premiums, which, you know, that that's one advantage that we do have being a, a, a you know, a small business is we can write off 100% of the, the premiums for health, right. um, which is usually a good tax advantage. We do so, have another benefit, which is the ability to open a health savings account. Right. I was going to mention that too. Go for it, Tom. Uh, oh, sure. It's funny. I was just talking about this just last night in my money management class that I taught. Um, so this is all fresh in my uh, head. Um, a health savings account, which, by the way, is completely separate from whatever uh, health insurance that coverage that you have. They're two separate entities. 
Um, a health savings account functions almost exactly like an IRA. You can uh, put money in it. It bears interest. You have a maximum amount of money that you can put into it every year, just like an IRA. I believe an IRA right now, the maximum you can put in a calendar year is $5,500. Mm. Um, I believe it's $3,450 that you can put into um, an HSA in any calendar year. And you can use it to cover all of your medical expenses with the exception of non-prescription drugs and covering your health insurance premiums. What makes it extra wonderful is that it's what I like to call pre-pre-tax for voice talents. So right. if you're a nine-to-fiver, you know, your, your income gets taxed before you get it and then you do something with it. So then you put it in your HSA and then you know that already taxed money is protected from being taxed further. But with um, a voice talent, most of the time when we get paid, we get um, uh, no withholding on our taxes, and then they send us a 1099 at the end of the year, and then we pay taxes on it. Yeah. So you can take that money before it gets taxed and put it into the HSA. So it kind of gets double coverage from uh, being taxed. I'll put it to you this way. I set up my first HSA at the end of last calendar year, and my CPA told me that was the difference between me owing the government and the government owing me. Wow. Right. Yeah. You could set up a flexible spending account, too. So um, that's something you need to talk to your accountant about because they have different... um, there's different amounts that you can put in, and I, one of them, I forget, one of them doesn't roll over to the next calendar year, and one of them does. So that, you know, those are the kind of details that you, your accountant and, and you as your as a talent can decide which is best. Mm-hmm. And you can use those to pay your, your um, the co-pays and things like that. So, you you know, depend, you can also use it to, to get like a high deductible insurance plan and then use the money that's in that account to pay those deductibles. And my final question here was to do with dealing with the financial ups and downs of being self-employed and running your own business and being in a career that has peaks and troughs. To be an effective business is to have uh, assets. Mm. I advise that, um, I advise this to the voice talents that I worked with last night in the class that I taught, is that a business should have at least one to two months worth of expenses uh, that can be covered in their business checking account. And personally, you should have six months of of expenses to cover your personal expenses in case, you know, because we do have, you know, ups and downs. Unfortunately, the vast majority of voice talents that try to get into this business don't have any money. Right. Um, and what's worse than that, they're impatient. Mm. You know, they're dying to get out of their nine to five job. They're dying to quit wherever they are. Maybe they just retired. Maybe they got fired or laid off. And, um, you know, I mean, nobody's it's like nobody's qualified to be president of the United States. Nobody's ready to be a voice talent. Right. <laughs> you know, um, because, you know, you, you're not going to be a good voice talent until you're a voice talent and you can't, you know what I mean? So it's a real chicken in the egg thing, Yeah. but you can, you can protect yourself legally like Roberts talked about, and you can also protect yourself financially. But I've learned that, well, also since interest rates have been, you know, horrible since, you know, for the past 10 years or so, it's extraordinarily difficult for any, for your average person to be able to save that taxed money that you have. Yeah. I mean, interest rates, there are savings accounts with interest rates of 0.01%. And, you know, the banks are smiling. That's because they don't care about us anymore um, 
when it comes to investing in their bank. They use higher end big things to be able to make their money off of in mortgages and things like that. Yeah. So for some reason, savings accounts, they don't care about anymore. They just don't. I opened a savings account five years ago. It was 5% interest. Now it's 0.75% interest, oh. and it's the best interest rate that I can find yeah. for a regular savings account. It's 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 horrible. Mm. Um, so, you know, the best thing you can do is to take your time, get your training, save your money. Don't jump into this business until you're until you're ready for it. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I've been self-employed now for most of my working life. And that's just the way that any business is. It doesn't matter what it mm. is. If it's attorney, if it's if it's acting, if it's uh, production, it doesn't matter. You're you're you know, even in the pizza parlor, you're you're gonna get times where you you you're in uh, not making any money. You're you're making very little. Um, you know it comes in spurts. So what you have to do, you have to be disciplined enough that when you when you're making all this money and it's coming in and you're like woohoo bonanza, <laughs> don't spend it. Yeah. All yeah. puts put some of it away because you know a month down the road or two months down the road you're not going to be making that that kind of money you know, it's just it's just the way that it works it, plus you might have a big tax bill like months down the line well exactly you got to put money away for taxes too but what i do for that is um i use uh one of the payroll services either adp or paychecks mm. and i pay myself regularly and so and they they take them the, they withhold the money oh. and send it to the, send that in for me to the state to the irs so that that that's how i i, I lessen the amount that i i owe at the end of the year and I don't have to pay estimated taxes because I get it withheld. So that's how I get around. I make sure that there's money there for that. Oh. That's how I handle that. Oh, that's good to know. Um, but you, but it's, you know, like when you have to pay your mortgage, obviously, and you, you know, you had made, you haven't made any money for the first two weeks of the, of the month, you need to have the money there to be able to pay the, the mortgage. Yeah. So that's why, you know, when the money's coming in and it's, it's coming in a lot and, and you'll have those times where you get the, great big jobs and you, you know you're making a lot of money you have to fight the temptation to like go buy a car or you know spend it you have to just you have to take some of it and put it away so that in two weeks when your mortgage is due and you're not you haven't made any money you, you'll have the money to, to pay the mortgage so i mean it's a terrifying life if you don't have that contingency there just as a backup yeah i mean it, it is terrifying and, and the one thing that i that I always tell myself, though, is that I know I'm going to make, I know it's going to come back in again. Yeah. You know, if, if I was able to draw a graph on, on how my income comes in based on, on the numbers, you know, it would be a curvy up and down yeah. graph. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, would, it, would, it would be, it, it's, it's just amazing how it works. And it's, it's, and you can't really predict when those times, like you would think like around the holidays is slow, but that's not always the case. Sometimes no. it's really busy. That's right. So like it's, it's, it, 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 there's no rhyme or reason to it, but you just know that if you're slow now, and especially if you just, start, if you just start marketing yourself, like during those slow periods, you you know that the money is going to come, start coming in at some point yeah. in the near future. And it's just, it, you just have to, you just have to trust that. Yeah. And it, it you know. If, if you have all the, the um, systems in place, that it, it will it will happen. All right, there we are. That's part three of three of the 
highlights episodes. And next week is a brand new episode. I do have to say it has been a real pleasure to go through all of these episodes up till this point and pick out the best bits. While these three highlights uh, episodes do serve as a good jumping off point for a lot of information, I would really recommend you digging down and listening to all of the other episodes in full because there's so much I had to leave on the cutting room floor. But looking forward, we have some really exciting episodes lined up. I think they're exciting at least and some subjects that don't often get talked about, uh, but I'm not at liberty to elaborate too much on that. So yeah, um, to get in contact with us, you can visit our website, which is voschoolpodcast.com, and that has all the links to the social media and an email, uh, what else, all the uh, platforms where you can listen to the podcast. That's all for this week. I'll see you next week and for the next year for a whole season of VO School podcast episodes. Thanks so much. See you soon. Thank you to this week's guests, to our sponsor J. Michael Collins and Backstage Magazine. Thanks also to Kyle Marie Colucci and Chris Sharps for social media support. Join us next time for another class. Thank you.